All right, I'm going to let you into a little secret about me. Okay, you may not have known this about me, but here's going to be a secret for you. I'm a dog person. Yes, anybody surprised? Anybody surprised? Now, if you're a cat person, you know, we're one of those churches that welcomes everybody. So we're glad you're here. Uh, I'm a dog person, though. And, and one of the things I love about being downtown, uh, being a downtown church, is you meet all sorts of people. And a couple, couple months ago, maybe it was a year ago or so, uh, there was a guy walking down Yakima Avenue with his dog. And I'm like, how's it going? And, and he's walking with his dog. And I'm looking at his dog. And his dog is missing a leg. So it's running around with three legs. And I'm like, oh, you know, you know, your dog. And he's like, oh, here's the story. And he says, he's blind in one eye too. So you've got this dog with, with three legs and one eye. And I say, well, what's your dog's name? And I kid you not, he says, his name's Lucky. Like, I kid you not, like, Lucky. Like, what a perfect name for that dog, right? You know, it's funny because, like, things happen in life. Things happen in life and, and, and circumstances happen. And we think they're just kind of random. Like just by, 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 by chance, by, by luck, like this dog, by luck, you know, only has three legs and one eye, but it's still alive. And we say, well, well, that's just random. That's just chance. That's just uh, uh, good fortune, happenstance, whatever it is. And we can think back to circumstances in our life and we can think of them as being very random, very chance or, or fortunate or maybe bad luck. And I think about two uh, defining moments in my life. I think uh, August, or excuse me, uh, Ju- August 25th, 1992, that was the day my dad died. I remember that, that very clearly as a nine-year-old boy to have my dad die and, and how that, that, that created all these issues in my life. And you think, well, is that just chance? Like, like, like how come that happened? Is that, is that bad luck? Is that, is that karma? Like, like, how do I understand that? And then I think about another defining moment in my life. January of, of 2000, January of 2000, I'm walking out of Eisenhower High School heading out to the west parking lot. And this, this, this Jeep pulls in. It's actually not a Jeep. It's like a wannabe Jeep, okay? Suzuki Samurai. It pulls in, and, and, and the door flies open, and out steps this beautiful girl. Long, curly hair. Flushes it in the wind. I do that well, don't I? Yeah. She starts walking into school, and I'm like, Hey, you left your lights on. She's like, they turn off automatically. In like three hours when the battery dies, they turn off automatically. And they, we think about like moments like that. Like, like, was that just like the luckiest day of my life? Like, was that just random? And, and we think about our life and we think, you know, all these things. You know, my dad dying was probably one of the most influential things that developed me in having a compassionate heart. That helped me to understand about looking out for the person who's going to be left behind. Because I was there. And, and God used it to shape me. And that, that girl that I met that day with the beautiful hair just so happens that 15 years later, 16 years later, uh, we have five kids together. And we've been married for all these years. And, and we, we, we were, she's a part of this church plant with me. We look at those circumstances and we say, is that all just luck? Is that just random? Is that just by happenstance? Is that just by accident that these things happen? And you might think about your life. You might think about the circumstances that you're dealing with. Maybe the things in your past. You might look at those hardships that you've gone through. 
those, 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 those things that just break your heart. And is that just, is that bad luck? Is that, is that karma? Is that just, just happenstance that things happen in your life? And you think about, you think about people that have had good things happen in their life. You think about the blessings in your life. And you know, you leave, we like to look at somebody else's blessings and be like, man, I wish I had their Scorpio sign. Like, like if I was in a Sagittarius, maybe I could have some of their good luck and their, their good mojo. And I could have some of their good things happening in their life. But what if? What if there is no luck? What if there is no fortune? There is no karma? There is no happenstance? There is no accident? What if there's a purpose and a reason behind everything that happens in our lives. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bible to uh, the book of Ruth. Uh, we've been in the book of Ruth uh, for the past couple of weeks. Uh, today we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up. We've got an usher in the back. He'll come and bring one of these to you. Um, I invite you to, to turn there. Uh, we've been in this, 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 this book of Ruth, and we've carried this idea of, of God desires to bring redemption. God desires to bring redemption in our lives. God desires redemption in our, our marriages, in, in, in our workplaces, and, and in our hardships. God is a redeeming God, and God wants to bring redemption to us. So this has kind of been the theme throughout this series. Today, today we're going to look at redeeming grace. Redeeming grace. This comes from this idea. One of the themes in this book is the providence of God. The providence of God. God's sovereignty. This idea that there are circumstances in our life that aren't truly random. They're not by chance. They're not by happenstance. But there is a God in heaven whose hand is upon every moment of every day. That there is a God who reigns over every inch of our universe. And therefore, all those things that happen in our life are there for a purpose and there for a reason. So Ruth chapter 2 is going to teach us about this idea about, about the, the providence of God. And you could summarize this message in a very simple statement. That each detail in our life is orchestrated by the providence of God. That every detail in our life is orchestrated by the providence of God. So before we jump in and pray and, and read, would you go ahead and pray with me? God, just thank you for this opportunity to be here today. Thank you for... The opportunity to open up your word, God, I'm thankful uh, that we're not just coming and listening to a pastor's opinions about how to live, but God, this is your word being taught. God, I pray that you would give us understanding. God, I pray that you would, would speak to our soul. God, I pray that you would uh, help us to hear this word and be changed by it, God. That we'd understand that you are at work in our lives. No matter what's going on, that you are there, that you have a purpose, that you are there to redeem. God, we love you and praise you and ask for your presence with us now, Jesus. Amen. So chapter 1, we were in chapter 1, and we learned uh, about two of the main characters. We learned about Naomi and Ruth. And today in chapter 2, we're going to be introduced to the third main character, a guy by the name of Boaz. Like, that's quite a name, Boaz. And so uh, chapter 2 is going to focus on kind of a relationship that's going to start between Ruth and Boaz. So uh, Ruth chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Naomi... Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. 
He says he was a worthy man. Now, this, this, in the text, you see that he was a worthy man. This, this, this term for worthy can actually uh, mean, uh, it's kind of a generic word. It can mean a number of different things. And so when it says he was a worthy man, it means he was worthy in regards to wealth. He was worthy as regards to a leader. He was worthy as a, as a business leader. He was, he was worthy even as a man of war. This guy was like a dude of all dudes. Like he was, he was the man, if you know what I'm talking about. And so he was worthy. He's worthy of our respect. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our imitation. And it's interesting because the author of this book introduces him as a worthy man. And then we're going to contrast this in verse 2 with how he introduces Ruth. Verse 2, it says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Boaz, Man, he's a worthy man. He's respected in Israel. And here, Ruth is introduced again as a Moabite. Moabites in those days, those weren't people that were accepted in Israel. And you can think back to to what occurred in our country in the 50s and 60s, okay? Ruth would have been like the African-American girl tries to walk into a white church. She wouldn't have been very well accepted. If you can think back to the 1940s, Ruth would have been the, the, the nice little uh, Jewish girl looking for a synagogue somewhere in, Ger- in Germany to go and worship God. Okay? This was what it means when she says she was a, a Moabite. She was unaccepted. She was an outsider. She was a foreigner. And she would not have been accepted. And so you kind of see this introduction and this contrast between Boaz, who is respected and worthy... And Ruth, who is an outsider, who is not one to belong. And you see this. And you look at these two people and you say, there's nothing that would make them similar. There's nothing that they have in common. There's nothing that would uh, seem to make them connect. So here's what happens. Because Naomi, or because Ruth was an outsider, she says in verse 2 to Naomi, (coughs) She says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. Ruth asked Naomi, hey, give me permission to go out and glean and that I might find favor. It's interesting that she has to find favor to do this. She understands, hey, I'm a Moabite. I'm a nobody. I'm an outsider. I don't belong here. I'm going to have to go and, and not just go and look for work. I'm going to have to find favor. I'm going to have to have somebody who's going to hook me up for me to actually be able to go and get a job. You say, well, what's this, what's this gleaning thing? When we see gleaning here, this is kind of like the, the social services back in those days. See, in the Old Testament, uh, way back in, I believe it was Deuteronomy, might have been Leviticus, God said, all of the land belongs to me. And so if you own a piece of land, that land also belongs to me. And so what God said is when you go work the field, when you go work the field, you harvest the field, but you leave some of that field for the widows, for the orphans, for the aliens, referring to those coming from a different country, not a different planet. Uh, You leave a portion of that field for them to come and and, and glean from so they can feed themselves. This This was Israel's welfare system. And so you can just kind of picture this. You've got, again, you've got Boaz, who's the wealthy business owner who's respected. And then you've got Ruth, who's essentially, it's kind of like she's living at the mission. She's living at the mission. She doesn't have anything to offer. She's looking and just trying to find a few bucks so she can provide for her 
and Naomi. You see, what I love about this, what I love about this idea of gleaning is, is Ruth made a decision in chapter one. She made a decision and said, hey, Naomi, your God is going to be my God. You know what I mean? Your people are going to be my people. I'm going to, I'm going to leave my, my, my homeland. I'm going to leave all this stuff behind. And I'm going to go and pursue the one true God. She makes a decision. She puts her faith in God. We will say this was her salvation experience. She gave up her security of her country. She gave up the wisdom of the world. And she had faith that God would take care of her. That God would provide. See, faith is not just a feeling, though. Faith is not just agreeing to, to terms, agreeing to certain things. Faith is a verb. There's an action component to it. So here we see Ruth. She's in this new country. She's put her faith in God. She has faith that God will provide. And she's not just sitting around waiting for God to do it. She gets up and acts on that faith. She says, I'm going to go and I'm going to look for work. I'm going to go and look to see how God is going to provide for me. See, there's a quote that's actually attributed to about 15 different people. You can look it up. 15 people say they said this. But the quote says, if you don't live it, you don't believe it. This is just this idea that we can have faith and we can say, we believe these things and I have faith in these things. But until we actually live it, until we actually put it into practice, that's not really much faith. We have to to live through it. And this is where you and I would look and say, man, God has given us these great promises in Scripture. God has said, I will provide all of your needs. I will take care of you. And some of us sit back and say, God, when are you going to do this? God, when are you going to provide for all of my needs? I have faith, God. Well, listen, this is when we act on our faith. This is when we put our faith to action and we actually work on it. We go knock on some doors and we trust that God will open one and provide for us. So it says in verse 3, it says, So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So you need to underline those little words. She happened, she happened to come. So why, 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 does, why does the Bible say it like that? Why does, why does the Bible write it like that? It's because the Bible's trying to make a statement here. The Bible's trying to say something significant. That this was not just happenstance. That she happened to come into the field that belonged to Boaz. It's not by chance. It's not by, by luck. It's not by karma. It's not by good fortune. It's by God's providence that she landed in the field of Boaz. See, sometimes God works through his visible hands. We see, we see miracles that God does. And we can say, man, this is a miracle. I see God working. God's done this and we can see it. And, and God sometimes works through that way. But other times, God works through the invisible hand of providence. And here in this story, it looks like you've got this homeless girl looking for work. And she just happens to make a random choice and happens out of all the fields. She just by chance chooses Boaz's field. And we look at Naomi, we look at the hardships that she's been through. We think, man, that's karma biting her on the backside. She just happened to have her husband die. She just by chance had her two sons die. And she's just, by karma, she has no one left to provide for her. She's got such bad luck. Listen, your life, 
you know this. You go through a hard time. And you think it's just karma. It's karma that my job fell through. It's just bad luck. Just everybody else has better luck than I do. We get to that place of blessing. Like, man, man, we've got good luck now. Like, like our, our, our favor has turned. God's favor has come back. See, as a Christian, we don't believe in chance. We don't believe in karma. We don't believe in luck. We don't believe in, in happenstance, that things just happen by accident. We believe in God's providence in all things, that God is working behind them. This is where the story of Job, Job was a guy who, who knew both blessing and knew both everything taken away. And this is what he said in Job chapter 1. He said, naked I came into the world, and naked I will leave the world. He said, he said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's saying all circumstances in our life, all circumstances are by the hand and the providence of God. That God is working in them. And this is, this is the whole summary of our message. When you get home and somebody says, what was the message about? This is it. That our lives, every part of our lives, are orchestrated by the hand of God's providence. This is where we have to understand that there is a God in heaven whose hand is upon every moment of every day, of every situation, that there is a God who reigns, who reigns over every inch of this universe, who has a purpose and a plan for redemption for everything that happens in our lives. We go through life, and, and these things don't make sense to us. They seem like so, so, so unpredictable, so random. And we live in this, this life of, of, of perpetual confusion, where it's like all these random things are happening. We don't understand. We can't make sense of it. We look around and it just doesn't make sense. And it's hard for us to see what God is doing. Because what we are doing is we're looking at it from a, a, a ground level. We need to look at it from a different level. I mean, I think about Naomi. Okay? Naomi had 10 plus years of hardship. She left Bethlehem and moved to Boaz with her husband. And, and they experienced hardship in, 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 in in Moab, she lost her husband. She lost her two kids. And we don't know Ruth's time frame. And, and it's hard to make sense. But these two women come back to Bethlehem and they're homeless. They're, they're poor. They have nothing going for them. They have, have no friends. Now you and I, we have a little bit of advantage in this story. Because we have the whole book of Ruth. And we can see how the whole thing plays out. We can see that God does in fact redeem Ruth. God does, in fact, redeem Naomi through Boaz. And we know that Ruth's great-grandson is going to be the greatest king that Israel ever had, King David. We know that through King David will come the, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, who came to die for our sins. Like, we know the end of the story. We know God redeems in the end, but in the middle of the, of, of the moment, they don't see all of that. They don't understand what God is doing. They're going through it saying, man, God, why are all these hard things happening? This is where we need a different vantage point. We need to, need to see things just a little bit differently. In the book of Revelation, chapter 4, God tells John, he says, John, hey, hey, come up to this vantage point and see what I am doing here. And I was thinking, well, how could I, how could I illustrate this? How could I help us understand this? And I actually thought of, a, of an idea. And uh, so I have, a, I, have a, I have a picture here, all right? And we look, in the, we look at this picture right here. 
And it doesn't really make much sense. Like we see like we see like some frayed frayed yarn. Actually, I just pulled a piece out. I don't know if that's a problem or not, but I just did. And 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 it doesn't really make sense and there's there, there's knots and there's all these things. And this is what it's like in our life. This is where Naomi and Ruth are. Like 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 God, I don't understand what this is supposed to happen. I just see all these random things. And and, and we look in our life and this is this is the temporal view. This is this is we don't understand what's happening. This is me saying, Dad, I don't, I, uh, God, I don't understand why my dad had to die. I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. I don't see what you're doing. Meeting, like, meeting Samantha, like, who knew, like, that would lead to changing my life? I mean, I found Jesus through Samantha's family. Like, like who knew that just by chance? I didn't. I just saw these loose ends everywhere. And so this is where we have to say, we have to have a different vantage point. Because then you flip it over, and then things become much more clear. We see, oh, this is actually a very pretty picture. And it says, let us be truly thankful. And we see these things happening in our life. And we see that God is, is weaving all of these details together for something beautiful. For something miraculous. To bring redemption to our lives. And we see all of those things happening. I think about all of those things happening in my life. Seeing my dad die. Seeing me meet Samantha that I could see, man, God was actually working those things, orchestrating the details of my life that have brought me to the place that I can stand in front of you and have the, the, the passion and the heart that God has given me. It's because of all those things that God brought me through. Like God had a, had a purpose behind them. Look, it's not that we don't make decisions. We do make decisions. Ruth made a decision. But we understand that God is at work in those that God is at work as we're, we're, we're going through life and making those decisions. And we go through life and it's not by chance. It's not by, 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 by accident that God has a purpose. Listen, you might not see it right now. You might be in the middle of it and you just see the back of that thing and you say, man, this doesn't make sense. But when you're going to carry along, God will show you the whole picture and it'll begin to make sense very clearly. Okay, God, I get it. This is what you're doing here. This is why you had me go through this. This is what you were trying to accomplish through me. This is the redemption you were bringing, God. So it says in our text, and it says, And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who is the clan of Elimelech. And behold, this is again one of those, it just so happens, Ruth by chances in Boaz's field, and it just so happens that Boaz came from Bethlehem. And said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And the reapers answered and said, the Lord bless you. Boaz shows up and he speaks a word of faith to his workers. And we hope that his actions will match up his words. Verse 5 says, then Boaz said to his young men, who was in charge of the reapers. Boaz comes and looks out on the field and, and notices this new woman. And he says, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, she is a young Moabite woman. Again, notice they're clarifying who she is. She's a Moabite. She's an outsider. She's unwelcomed. He said, she came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves of the, after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Ruth came to the field and asked the guy in charge, hey, can I come and glean here? And she's come and she's worked hard. She's worked all day long except for this short rest. 
And what's interesting is Ruth knows nothing about Boaz. She doesn't know whose field she's in. This is just her character. She just says, you know what? I've got something to do. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to put in a full day's work. I'm not going to slack off. I'm going to push it out. And, and she's recognized for that. So here's going to be Boaz. He's going to approach Ruth for the first time. And we wonder, are sparks going to fly? Is this going to turn into a love story? Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Again, Ruth, she's a Moabite. She's a, she's a young woman in a foreign land. She would have been a target for plenty of bad things happening to her. But Boaz, remember, he's a worthy man. And so here's what he says. He says, he says, don't go anywhere else. Don't go down to Toppenish. Don't go to, to Wapato. Don't go anywhere else. You stay right here in my field. You glean in my field. In fact, you see these young women, my young women. You go with them and you, you, you glean with them. He's given her community. He realizes, hey, you don't have any friends? Hey, let me help you give some friends. Let me give you a church community. Let me give you some people that you can live life with. He says in verse 9, he says, let your eyes uh, be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. He says, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? He calls all the dudes over. He says, hey, you see that pretty girl right over there? He says, you see her? He said, don't touch her. I have a big field. They'd never find the body. Don't touch her. Leave her alone. And finally, he says, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. This is backwards for the way that culture worked. If you were the foreigner, if you were the outsider, you were the one who was going to go and, and draw the water and give water to everybody else. But this is what Boaz says. He says, no, I'm going to take care of you. My guys are going to take care of you. When they drop the water, that's the water that you get to drink. We're going to serve you. Question is, how's Ruth going to respond? This is going to tell you a little bit about the type of person she is. Verse 10 says, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? This is a natural question. Like, I'm a foreigner. Like, I'm homeless. Like, I've been working in the field. I probably stink. I probably pitted out. I probably got all this stuff going on. Boaz, why are you being so nice to me? What is going on here? She thinks from Boaz's perspective, she has all these things going against her. Why well, would Boaz extend grace to her? I said, I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where like things are just hard, but then somebody just shows up and offers you some grace, gives you a little gift, gives you a little bit of encouragement. And it's like, oh, man, why would you do this? And this is, what, this is what Ruth is saying. Why, why, why are you being nice to me? And Boaz, the way he answers will either make or break the love story. Here's what he says in verse 11. Boaz answered her and said, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did, did not know before. He says, I've heard all about you. I've heard about what you've done. I, I've, I've heard that you left your family. I've heard that you left your, 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 your country. I've heard that you have surrendered to God, that you've decided to become a Christian. I've heard that you came with your mother-in-law despite the hardships. Like, like, I've heard that you buried your father-in-law. I heard that you buried your husband. I've heard these things about you. 
And now that you've come to Israel, to Bethlehem, you have no friends, you have no place to live, you have no job. I've heard about this. Boaz has taken this moment to to build her up, to encourage her, to, to lift her up. Say, you know what? I see what you're trying to do, and it's awesome. And he's doing this publicly in front of all the people around them. How many people in our lives need that kind of encouragement? How many people in our lives are, 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 are trying to do the right thing, are, are going through hardships, and just need that little bit of encouragement? Hey, hey, I see what you're going through. I see you are faithful. I see God working in you. Let me just encourage you. Good job, good job, man. I see what you're doing. I see how God is working in your life. This is just a simple act of encouragement that can have so much meaning and so much uh, comfort to somebody. Man, who is it in your life that needs that kind of just encouragement? Not only does he encourage you, encourages her, but verse 12, he's going to pray for her. He's going to pray for Ruth. He says in verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward by God by, be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He prays and says, I want God to bless you in so many ways. I want God, I want God to give you hope. I want God to give, to give you shelter. I want God to give you food. I want God to give you uh, a husband. I want God to give you uh, children. I want God to give you friends. And he, he's praying for all of these things for her. And he says, I want God to bless you in these ways. Listen, I don't know if you've, you've, you've read through the end of the chapter, end of the book. But let me just fill you in on a little bit of a secret. God blesses her in every one of those ways. God gives her all those things. And you know how God does it? He does it through Boaz. He does it through Boaz. Because sometimes when we pray, sometimes we pray for something, we pray for someone, and the answer to that prayer is us. Like we are that answer. We are the way that God's going to answer that prayer. See, when we pray, there's many things that prayer does. Specifically, there's two things today I want to highlight that prayer does. First, when we pray, sometimes it moves the hand of God. So this is when we have a request and we pray and say, God, God, this is what's going on. God, God would you move? God, would you work? And, and sometimes God answers that prayer. And sometimes God does what we want him to do. And sometimes God does what he wants to do and doesn't do what we want to do. But sometimes God, when we pray, it moves the hand of God. And sometimes when we pray, prayer changes the heart of the one who is asking. God changes our heart when we are praying. And so we pray. We begin to realize, man, this is why I'm here. Like I'm praying for this request. And then I realize like God has, has, has chosen me to answer this prayer. Because God works through his people. And if we are his people, then I think God wants me to be a part of answering this prayer. And so, so this is what we do as Christians. We pray for things all the time, but we fail to actually act on that prayer. Like my bills, for example. Like if I want my, guilt, my bills to be prayed. God, God, man, would you, pray my, would you pay my bills? God, would you, would you help my bills to be paid? Listen, unless I go get a job and make some money... Man, I've never seen, like, money just dropping out of the sky. Like, I actually have to get up and, like, like take some steps for God to answer that prayer. God will answer that prayer. I've got to take a couple steps and, and say, okay, now God's going to do this. Jesus, he did the same thing on the cross. He, on the cross, he prayed. One of his famous last words was, Father, forgive them. 
And then what did he do? He went to give his life on the cross to die for the sins of those that put him there. To to die for the sins of every one of us. And he answers his own prayer of forgiveness. And this is what Boaz does. Boaz prays for Ruth. And then Boaz steps in and says, I'm going to answer that prayer. I'm going to step into that. I'm going to meet a need. Listen, this is one of the coolest things about being a pastor. I love being a pastor because I get the chance to, to pray with people and, and, and see, how, how, see what God's doing in people's lives. Not long ago, there was a guy and he was saying, man, I need a place to stay. I need a, I need a place to live. And he says, hey, would you, would you pray with me? This other guy says, hey, hey, there's a room in my place. You can come stay with us. And it was great because this is, this is the way that God w- works. Like we have, we, have, we have prayer requests. Listen, some of us here need to step in to help meet those requests. To, to say, God would use you and I to answer that prayer. So I just want to encourage you. But don't just, don't just pray for people. But when God enables you, Step in to that, that situation where you can answer that prayer. Like, don't just, don't just pray, God, God, would you lead my friend to salvation? Don't just pray that. If you pray that, then go talk to him about Jesus. Pray that and invite them to church. Like, this is how we do it. Like, like don't, just, don't just pray that God blesses the church. Don't just pray that God grows the church. Like, like, like pray and then, like, step into it and be a part of the church and help the church move forward. Like, don't just, don't just pray and say, God, would you, would you comfort my friend? They're going through a hard time. They're, they're hurting. They're, they're whatever. Don't just pray for that. Pray for that. And then go sit with them and put your arm around them and tell them you love them and say, I'm here for you. And allow you to be the person that God uses to answer that prayer. Pray and then answer that prayer. That's what Boaz does. Boaz does. And it's a great example. Finally, in verse 13, Ruth responds and she says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Boaz, this is what she's saying. She's saying, Boaz, you don't owe me anything. The law states that you have to let me come and glean, but you don't owe me this grace. You don't owe me this this favor. The question we have to ask ourselves is why? Like, why is Boaz being so good to her? Why is Boaz as giving her grace? It's because Boaz understood the gospel. I think the reason that Boaz would do this is because he understood the gospel. Because this, this is what the gospel says. This is what the gospel says. The gospel says you and I, we are Ruth. We come to God empty-handed. We come to God with broken backgrounds, with a mess of situations. We can be rebels at times, and, and we have issues in our life, and we come to God empty-handed. And Jesus is our Boaz. And just as Boaz came to look out on the field, Jesus came and looked out over the earth and saw us. And just, just, as, just as Boaz came and he saw Ruth, Jesus came and he saw every one of us. And Joe says, as Boaz came and pursued Ruth, Jesus has come and pursued every one of us. And just as Boaz came and he spoke kindly to Ruth, Jesus has come and spoken kindly to every one of us. And just as Boaz came and went above and beyond the requirements of the law, all the way to grace and favor in how he loved Ruth, 
Jesus went above and beyond the requirements of the law to give every one of us grace and favor because of how he loves us. The motivation for Boaz was the gospel playing out in his life. And what we do is we receive this mercy. We receive this grace. We receive this salvation. We receive it for free. We receive it for free. Because Jesus, as our Boaz, he forgives us. He saves us. He makes us his own. And, and we, look, we look at Jesus just like Ruth looked at, looked at Boaz. God, why are you so nice to me? Boaz, why are you so good to me? And he would say, it's because of mercy. It's because of grace. It's because of love. And when Jesus does this, when we receive that grace and that mercy from him, when Jesus does this, we have the chance to be like Boaz. We can be like Jesus, and we can love people just like Jesus did. We can love people just like Boaz did. Sometimes this includes money. Sometimes this includes gifts. Sometimes this just includes us serving other people. Even though we don't have much, we all have the ability to love people the way that Boaz loved people, to love people the way that Jesus did. And when somebody comes back and says, man, why are you being so nice to me? Why are you giving me grace? Why are you, are you being so generous to me? Why are you doing this? You can go back and say, man, it's because of the gospel. It's because of the gospel. Because God loved me and God cared for me. And so because he's loved me and cared for me, he sent me to tell you that God loves you and that God cares for you. And ultimately, God wants a relationship with you. Just two closing questions for you as we get ready to close in prayer. Listen, what's happening in your life right now? What's happening in your life that you need God's perspective of providence? Like, like it's not just by chance you're here today at Restoration Church. It's not just by chance that you are here. Like, understand God has a purpose and a reason for you being here. Like, what is that? What is God trying to speak to you to say, I've got this. I've got a purpose and a plan for you. Step into it. What is happening that you need God's perspective of providence in your life right now? And second question, man, who are you supposed to be a Boaz to? Who are you supposed to love and give grace and give favor because of the gospel? Because you and I are like Ruth and Jesus is our Boaz and he's given us grace and favor. Who are we then supposed to love just as Boaz loved? Would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? God, just thank you for this opportunity just to open up your word. God, you would speak to us. God, thank you that we are like Ruth, but you love us regardless. That we are broken and we have nothing to offer and we come from messy situations. But God, you loved us anyways. I sent your son Jesus for us anyways. Now, God, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves in this story. That we would see ourselves as Ruth. That, God, you've loved us and that you have a plan for us. And then, God, that we would see ourselves as somebody like a Boaz who, who you could use to, to redeem those around us. That we could share the gospel with them. 
Man, we have this wonderful opportunity, whether we are, are rich like, uh, like, like Boaz or whether we are poor like Ruth, to do the same thing to other people, to be generous and to be kind, but to do so for the purpose of the gospel. It's about Jesus. It's about, it's about grace. It's about favor. It's about mercy. And God, I pray that you would use us to, to change the world, that we would take this gospel message and that lives would be transformed because we lift this out and we believe this and we embrace this and this becomes the, the banner in which we carry is this message of the gospel. And I pray for those who are just in that hardship. I pray that they would see your hand. They would trust that you have a plan, that you are working behind whatever it is going on in their life. Those good things that God, you behind those. And those hardships that we don't understand right now. But God, there will come a day when we will. And we'll see what you were trying to accomplish through us. And God, we can praise you in the middle of it all. That you are good. That you are loving. That you are with us. Listen, I invite you today to trust in Jesus. I invite you to trust in his mission. To be a part of his mission. I invite you to be people of grace and generosity and lavish favor and kindness. I invite you to the kingdom lifestyle of Jesus. If you don't know him, I invite you today to receive him as your savior. God, we thank you for meeting with us here today. Pray, God, that you help us to walk out today under your power, under your grace, under your strength, that we can live differently because, God, your, every part of our life is under your providence, under, under your plans. Jesus, we love you and praise you. We ask this in your name. Amen.